Hello, everybody. This is Father Sean O'Brien, and welcome to those who are tuning in by video or by uh, the podcast, Father Sean's podcast, found on all major podcast platforms. Uh, I am doing now the second part of the series on thoughts to ease the return to Mass. Again, kind of in the pandemic, um, probably people are going to be more vaccinated step by step, slowly but surely, and just want to make that transition process to coming back to church as easy as possible. So today I will be addressing the question, why do you have to go to Sunday Mass? Why the heck is there an obligation? What, what, what's the deal with making me go to Mass? So I'm going to answer that just to kind of make that nice and smooth for you and for the people who you love. Last time I talked about oh, why the heck do we have the Mass at all? And But this time I'm talking about why is there now the obligation to attend Mass? Where the heck does that come from? So as we begin this path to answer that question, I first want to offer a, a bad answer. This is that the Mass is so good. The Mass is so good. Well, it's not like a bad answer. It's just an insufficient answer. Um, you know, so many things are so good, and we only do them once a year. So many things are so good, we might not ever do it. Uh, you know, I'm probably not ever going to go uh, on a safari in Kenya, you know, different things like that. I'm probably not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to get married, and that's a good thing. I'm a priest, I'm not going to get married. So the reasoning behind this is, it's not bad, it's just insufficient. So let's look a little bit deeper. I think the better answer has to do with one of, of justice and what we owe to God. But first, let's, let's draw out a few examples. If Think about a high school graduate. He gets finished with high school. You know, He gets all these different cards in the mail, and then he gets uh, with little checks written to him. And there's one from his great aunt. Oh, dear sweetheart, we're so proud of you. You've graduated high school. Here's a little spending money there, maybe a little something to help you out with buying stuff for college. Well, he'll be like, Aunt Judy. Aunt Judy, who's she again? And then mom and dad will help him. Like, oh, yeah, don't worry. You know, this is the aunt on my side of the family. Like, oh, yeah, very good. Well, that mom or dad will say, son or daughter, you will need to write a thank you note to them because... You need to be grateful. You need to be thankful. So Thanksgiving is associated with justice. We owe people gratitude. Or think about your parents. Um, they gave you life, and we owe them something as a response. Especially kind of in this time of pandemic, you know, a lot of people are renewed in their thinking about elderly parents or elderly grandparents. You know, we want to care for them. We want to make sure that they're well taken care of. And there's also the sadness in those uh, children who are not able to care for their elderly parents because, kind of lacking a better word, they're locked up in a nursing home and they can't really interact with people from the outside. And so regarding that sadness or regarding that, that obligation and the doing so, we are reminded that children owe something to their parents. Um, they brought us life and we are to share our life and our love with them. They supported us in our childhood when we were most vulnerable. And so we now are... Uh, offering them what is due to them, our support when they are now in a very vulnerable time and old age. Or think about the priest who who baptized you or gave you your first Holy Communion or the priest who um, maybe was inspirational for you at a certain point in your life. Well, you know what? If you met that priest, you'd probably be like, hey, you know what? Father, I'm, I'm thankful for that. That was really awesome. I think of a time in my own life 
where I was in college and Father Eugene, Father Eugene was preaching a homily and he asked a question that homily that really triggered a, a, a large uh, portion of, of my spiritual life off. And so when I went to seminary and I was reflecting on my life a lot more, I was like, you know what? I'm super thankful for that priest. And so I wrote a little letter to give thanks to Father Eugene and I sent it in the mail because I, I felt the need to. I, I wanted to do that. I wanted to respond with this gratitude. Now let's think for a minute. What if there was a being out there who gave us everything that we have? What if there was a being out there who brought us into existence and who had supported us in every moment of our life? What if there was a being who also supported us and gave us everything spiritual for us and who did so through becoming human flesh and dying on a cross for us. Without this being, we are nothing, like literally nothing. We don't have existence. And so reflecting on this, this, this uh, nature of justice, of gratitude, of giving to someone what is due to them, we now make the conclusion that regarding God, we owe him something. We owe him our, our voice of praise. We owe him gifts of gratitude. We owe him exactly what he has given to us because just by his being, we owe him everything. He's the creator of the world. And so we, we render everything right back to him. The relationship that we have with our parents, assu assuming that we fulfill that, that role of justice to return to them what is due to them, we call that the technical word for that virtue. It's a sub-virtue of justice. We call that filial piety. Regarding our relationship with God, the sub-virtue of justice that relates there is, you know, the technical word would be religion. You know, we use religion in a lot of different ways, but just we could also probably call it divine piety. Um, just thinking of its relationship, its analogous character with filial piety. The only difference is parents are great, but God is infinitely greater. <laughs> so the, the importance of fulfilling this role is so much more profound than fulfilling our role of giving to our parents what is due to them. Though not to minimize that either. It's super important and people who don't follow up on that responsibility. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's grave. That's, that's a grave uh, omission, grave sin. But all the more important for us is to give to God what is due to him. Our praise, our thanksgiving, our, our everything, our lives, our relationships, our house, our car keys. And to bring to him this is a real duty, is a real obligation. We are not allowed to just kind of omit it and say, God understands. He knows um, all his. But because, like I mentioned last time, we are social beings and we are physical beings and we do the most important things in a social and in a physical way, thinking about marriages, thinking about ordinations on my end here, uh, thinking about all the different things, funerals, well, we do all those in social and physical ways. And so it is very important for us as we fulfill our greatest of responsibilities to do that in a social way and physical way at the Mass. And the Mass's existence is, is an open door for us to bring to Him our, our gift to God, our perfect, uh, our gift to God, so that it be perfected. You know, we're not able to do it in a perfect way, but we're able to do it at least in a certain way. So now I want to talk about um, 
how Jesus fulfilled this rule, because it's also kind of a part of who we are to imitate Jesus. Jesus Christ, even he owes everything to his father. He's the eternal son of the eternal father. But a little bit of the dynamics of the Trinity that are revealed is that the son of God, the eternal son of God, is generated from the father. That's not to say he was born of the Father on a certain day, but he was eternally coming from the Father as the Father, who is love, and love is self-gift, gives of himself to the Son eternally. Now the Son eternally is also rendering everything that he's receiving from the Father right back to him. And so the Son receives the full nature of God from the Father because the Father is pure gift, Well, the Son is also pure gift because that's the nature he received from the Father, and he gives it right back. So the Father gives to the Son, the Son receives, the Son gives it right back. This is also lived out through his incarnation because he then went to follow upon the law of the Judaic tradition that was given to Moses. He went to the synagogue every Sunday. He went to the temple at appropriate times. Um, In an act of loving obedience, In obedient love, he did the most hardest uh, rendering to the Father what is due to him on the cross, on the cross. And because his act of love was so much more pleasing to the Father than all of the acts of sinners were displeasing to the Father, well, he wins. Uh, True love, the eternal love of the Son wins, and we are brought back to him. If Jesus did it, We should too. If Jesus did it every Sabbath, we should too every Sabbath. It's an offering to the Father of everything in loving obedience, in obedient love. There's a couple of objections I want to mention real quick, um, just to kind of draw out a few other ideas related to this. The first one is something that Pope Francis mentions, and he says, well, isn't the purpose of religion just to, to live well, to love my neighbor? And Pope Francis says, you know what? The quality of Christian life is measured on love. This is the fulfillment of the Christian life. But then he specifically says, and this is a quote from him, how can we practice the gospel without drawing the energy necessary to do so one Sunday after another from the inexpressible source of the Eucharist? So the conclusion that he's making here is, okay, so love is, love is the goal. You know, this was the primary command of God, to love God above all things. The second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And Pope Francis is saying, if you're going to do that without the gifts and the supports and the aids that God has given to you, good luck, it ain't going to (laughs) happen. You must uh, use all the instruments that God has given to us for us to grow in holiness in order for you to grow in holiness. You are not allowed to omit one. Uh, no matter how inconvenient it is, it will cost you. It will be an inconvenience in your journey to to perfect love, to perfect love. We must continually bathe ourselves in the blood of Christ. And we may certainly do that through our prayers during the week, but we do that in an explicit way that is guaranteed to be to to be actual on Sundays in the Eucharist. And we can do that more often during the week, and I highly encourage you to do so. But if you're planning on being a saint, you owe it to yourself to to 
be in the Eucharist, to be right there, and to do so on a regular basis on the Sundays, just like Jesus Christ was faithful to his Father. Another objection. Um, this is a oversimplified objection. I think we hear this from Protestants fairly regularly. Um, Christ's sacrifice fulfilled all justice, fulfilled all righteousness. It was the perfect sacrifice. And therefore, I don't owe anything to God because Jesus fulfilled everything that I owed. So certainly, let's confirm that Jesus' sacrifice was perfect. Let there be no doubt about that. There's no doubt about that. And if Jesus Christ didn't do that, no matter what we tried to give to the Father, it wouldn't be accepted. It's not possible. We're not able to fulfill the law that he had given to us through Moses, but even the natural law that we have imprinted on the human heart. It wouldn't be possible. But let's also consider the simple experience of the world. Yes, Jesus Christ's sacrifice was perfect. But the integration of the perfection of our salvation was not integrated into the whole cosmos immediately. It's still being worked out. It's still being worked out. And a simple example of this is people who get baptized, you know what? <laughs> they're not saints yet. They're not perfect. They, they're going to sin again. You know, please God, not in big ways, but they're probably going to sin in small ways as well. I know that's my experience. Uh, no matter how many times I make some good resolutions and I get my sins forgiven, like I've got to go back and, and get my sins forgiven all over again. Yes, his, perf- his sacrifice was perfect, but we need to slowly, it's the nature of humanity, and God doesn't have to correspond with this, but he chose to do so. He allowed himself to be integrated progressively through time, bit by bit, through especially the sacraments, but through a lot of other different things as well. And so our role is to do that progressively, step by step, to bathe regularly in the blood of Christ uh, given to us, especially in the Eucharist, among the other ways of doing that too. Also, his sacrifice perfects all sacrifices united with his. Like I said a minute ago, our sacrifices, you know, before the sacrifice of Christ, totally pointless. <laughs> not pointless, but uh, totally ineffectual. They were not able to be well received by God. Now, Christ was. And because we are members of his body, Christ's sacrifice offers us up as well. And we can choose to go along with that or we can choose to resist that. But our goal is to go along with that. And as the body of Christ is offered up, so we as members of the body of Christ must offer ourselves up. And we must do that regularly. It's part of our quote-unquote membership requirements to do so on Sunday. God plans, and then a third kind of point regarding this objection here, number two, about the, the progressive uh, integration of the, perf- the sacrifice of Christ. That sacrifice saved the cosmos very clearly. Time and space, all of time and space. However, Christ has allowed us to have responsibility for our little corner of the cosmos. You know, my little room, my little house, my job, my relationships, all these things that are mine, that God has entrusted me as a steward. And my vocation is to render those back to God as gifts to him. We are a royal 
priesthood. Let's not forget about that. And what the heck is a priesthood if it doesn't mean that we offer sacrifices? So all these dimensions that God has given to us, we are to bring back to him so that we may fulfill our vocation, our small little role in the grand scheme of reality, to render to him our corner of the cosmos so that he can sanctify the whole of the cosmos. This is what I got to say on that. And just to kind of summarize this before I get to the next part here regarding specifically why we are have the obligation to attend on Sundays, I want to say we have the obligation to attend Mass because we owe everything to the Father through Jesus Christ. And we do that in the Mass. We have to do it regularly. We have to do it regularly. We have to do it regularly. There's no way around it. If God gives us the dignity to be a royal priesthood, we got to be good priests. Um, I'm talking about ministerial priests, but I'm also speaking of the common uh, priesthood of the faithful. That is to say, all y'all who have been baptized, you have to offer what is due to God. Your gratitude, your praise, your thanks, all honor, all good things, even your weaknesses, they must be given to the Father. Now let's look about why we have the obligation to attend on Sundays. Um, so I'm really going to use a lot of references to, to some from Scripture here, but also drawing from the early church. Why? So again, drawing from the perspective of justice, kind of what we owe God, something must be done regularly, but that does not specify on the time. But God, he was very specific. His his revelation on how he wants to be uh, worshipped was very, very clear. Holy smokes, how many, how many chapters in the Pentateuch in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy are talking about, you know, this many cubits, that many cubits, this gold, this is specific wood. And he goes at length to talk about how he desires to be worshipped. And so let's talk about how he wants to be worshipped regarding time. From the beginning, Jesus rested on the seventh day. We know this is important, but Abraham's family didn't quite live in accordance with this understanding that the seventh day was to be given to God. This really came to to reality through the covenant with Moses. When God came down and through the intervention with Moses, who is the mediator of this new covenant, well, God brought his people through freedom, through these great miracles, especially through the Passover, where the angel of death passed over, and then through the Red Sea. And in the covenant, it was wonderfully clear that God was calling them to set apart the Sabbath day, the seventh day, as a day apart, as a day of rest, as a day given to God. Not that the other days aren't, but a day specifically, explicitly, uniquely given to God. And the people did this. And it was very clear that it was also to be done in remembrance of his liberation, of God's liberation of the Israelite people. Now, again, Jesus Christ lived this when he was in the earth because he was a good Jewish boy, a good Jewish man, and we're trying to imitate him. So he did it on the seventh day. But the unique thing is, is that he rose again on the day after the, the Sabbath, on the first day of the week, not the seventh day of the week, on the first day of the week, or you can call it the eighth day of the week, you know, kind of the, the we're finally beyond these the seventh-day limit, and we're kind of entering into eternity. There's a little bit of that theology as well. But 
he has set apart Sundays as the day of his resurrection. And the church immediately understood that it's Sundays, it's the first day of the week that we should gather because it's the Lord's day. And he has now, the Lord of the Sabbath, has made Sundays his Sabbath as that day of of going beyond earthliness, going beyond worldliness. St. Paul in 1 Corinthians, he talks about uh, supporting other Christians by to by chipping in, by giving a little bit of um, tangible support for them, a little bit of money. And he says to do that on the first day of the week. You're only going to do that if you're gathering on the first day of the week. You're not going to say, you know what, I know you're here on the Sabbath, Well, why don't you come another day and give some money? No. It's clear for him that they're gathering on the first day of the week. St. Paul in the Acts of the Apostles also, chapter 20 there, he's talking about uh, traveling around, and the narrator says that he gathered for the breaking of the bread. When the disciples gathered for the breaking of the bread, it was on the first day of the week. So as Paul is going along and preaching, he is uniting the people on the first day of their week, uh, which we hear to be the day of the Lord. We hear that in the book of Revelation, the day of the Lord, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's a little bit of the, the biblical background. There are also the testimonies from you know the first hundred years. Um, there's this document called the Didache, and it says, On the Lord's day, gather together and break bread and give thanks. He doesn't say, do it whenever you want. He says, do it on the Lord's day, which we know to be Sunday based on the book of Revelation there and kind of all the correspondence of evidence there. St. Ignatius of, of Antioch. Oh, I should say the Didache was written between the year 50 and 150. They don't know specifically the date. St. Ignatius of Antioch, who's writing uh, around year 107, he says in this one letter of his, stop Sabbathizing. It's kind of going back to a Jewish way and celebrating everything on the Sabbath day. But then he says, but fashion your lives on the Lord's day. So he's kind of separating the Lord's Day from the Sabbath. Uh, there's probably questions on a couple different translation points there. But it really seems to say, like, stop being a Sabbath person and be a person of the, of the Lord's Day. That's around the year 107. St. Justin Martyr, uh, he is writing a defense to the emperor of Christian worship, what Christians do. And he goes into really intricate detail on this gathering of Christians. And it's beautiful because we see like, oh, wow, he, they totally understood the Eucharist to, to be what we understand it to be. On that day, called Sunday, all gather in one place. And then he describes what's going on there. There's readings, there's a discourse, there's Eucharist, Eucharistic prayer, and then sometimes there's people who go out and bring communion, the Eucharist, to people who are not able to be there. And again, this is from the year 150. Yes, God has set apart the Sabbath day to be the Lord's day. This is something that the church has always believed in. I'll also be pretty clear that, you know, from the beginning, it wasn't like a rule. But from the beginning, it was an obligation. And it was very clear because of the different commands that we hear from the early church. You know, Gather on the Sabbath, excuse me, gather on the Lord's Day, gather on the Lord's Day. And from the biblical evidence, that's just what they did. They gathered on the Lord's Day. They gathered on the first day of the week. I don't know exactly where the idea came up that we don't have to, 
it turns out that we do have to because we're still following that same tradition that Jesus Christ offered to us that was received by the early church and was passed down to the church until today. Read the Catechism for more scoop. It's super dang good. It's not too, too long, um, but it's it's looking at the commandment about keep holy the Sabbath. So <laughs> that's pretty obvious about the importance of the Sabbath day. Keep holy the Sabbath. We have a duty, a duty to God Almighty to render him our thanks, our gratitude, our honor, our praise, all good things to him. Even the things that we don't like about ourselves, well, we put before him our own weaknesses so that we can glory in them, as St. Paul talks about. Because it might seem foolishness to the world, but it's truly divine wisdom. So we offer to him all of our weaknesses and all the things we're not so proud of because it's owed to him. He is the Almighty. He's the God. He's the eternal flame of love with creative power that could bring the world out of existence or he could bring you know more worlds into existence we owe to him everything and it is very clear from revelation that we are to do that on sunday so my brothers and sisters be faithful to your sunday obligation if you're not able to return to church yet um, because you're you're navigating different health situations regarding the coronavirus or I know you no, I know even someone who's kind of navigating an economic kind of situation in their family and not able to attend. Well, be faithful still on Sundays and give God what is due to him. And when you are able and and fulfill your obligation and attend Mass on a regular basis. May God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. I hope this has been helpful. And I'll come again next week for round number three in this series on thoughts to ease the return to Mass. God bless. Bye.